Let's talk about the white powder on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello once again, my dear listeners. I'm Dr. Johnny, and this is another episode of Pushback. I have been doing a series on health, wellness, weight loss, um, and sharing a little bit of my own journey uh, over the last several months in this regard, uh, uh, really trying to become more healthy uh, and uh, decreasing weight. And I, I want to, I feel like this is a perfect topic for this podcast in many ways. Um, one, because I'm a medical doctor and I, I'm interested in this and I love the human body and, and the importance of taking care of our, our own human body and, and our body as the temple of the Lord. Um, and so all those things are, are very important. I do also feel like this is a cultural issue, and I really have tried to make that case over the last several weeks of this podcast, that this is more than just willpower. This is more than just discipline. This is more than just education. This is about culture and in creating health within a culture, which if you took people off the street and pulled them and asked them, would you like a healthy culture? Everybody would say yes. Why wouldn't you want a culture that's healthy? And yet the way we treat our bodies, uh, the, what we put into our bodies makes a difference and contributes to that overall health in culture as well. And so when we look, and I shared the story of looking over American culture and the, and the enormity, uh, the epidemic proportions of obesity and overweight people in our culture is, is, is flabbergasting. And, and it's so high. And, and as a medical doctor, I see the ramifications of that in such a daily uh, way. Something needs to be done. Something needs to change. And, and I, I am one of the biggest capitalist flag wavers that there are, that there is our, our ability to create wealth and to promote a product. The problem we have to be careful with, though, is in, in making money and in promoting products, sometimes they have become cheaper, less healthy, more available, um, but toxic to our bodies. And so we as consumers need to drive that conversation. We need to demand healthier foods or we just need to be more discriminating in what we choose to eat and the markets will then come alongside of that. And so there is a piece of education, there is a piece of inspiration that needs to come through into this conversation. Uh, but also we need to understand that there's a bigger thing at play here for ourselves and for our families is that we want to live a life of longevity. We want to live a life full of energy and vitality so that we can enjoy each other, enjoy um, uh, a life of service to Christ and in our mission so that our body isn't the limiting factor. Um, it's just when the Lord wants to take us home 
and he can do that whenever he says he pleases. And so, um, but I don't want my choices uh, in my life and in my body to be the limiting factor. And so that's why I'm spending a series of, of podcasts on this because I think it's so important. And as a physician, of course, I see the ramifications of poor choices all the time. This podcast is entitled The White Powder Nut. That certainly creates a connotation in our minds. And it certainly as an ER doctor, white powder uh, usually implies, uh, you know, illicit drug use. But I want to read this chapter again out of this book uh, entitled uh, Habits of Health uh, by Dr. Uh, by Dr. Wayne Scott Anderson uh, and, and just share this couple paragraphs with you. He writes, uh, coca chewing and drinking coca tea is carried out daily by millions of people in the Andes. It is considered sacred within indigenous cultures and does not cause any harm. In fact, it is beneficial to human health. But as you know, the coca leaf can be refined and turned from a healthy natural food into a dangerously addictive substance. That is exactly what has happened with sugarcane and flour. They have been turned from a healthy food with great nutritional value into cheap, readily available calories that have little or no nutritional value and create metabolic and inflammatory havoc. And they're also highly addictive. When subjects are placed in a functional MRI machine that are designed to show areas of the brain activated after consuming sugar or foods made with refined flour, the subject's pleasure and reward center lights up like a firework display. The hyperactive area, known as the nucleus accumbens, releases large amounts of dopamine, which creates pleasurable feelings and leads to the desire for more. It is the identical response that occurs when subjects are given cocaine. This is what we're up against, people, and I, and I want to, this is a fairly um, dramatic paragraph, but, but we need to have our eyes open to what is happening I talked in previous podcasts about the addictive nature of food and also talked about dopamine and and our brain's uh, longing and craving for it. He says the addiction creates a pathologic feedback loop that makes the desire for, for more and more sugary and floury products almost unavoidable. Your body needs more and more sugar to mimic the pleasurable sensation in an addictive habit loop that becomes hard to break. Isn't it ironic that in their raw state, cocoa, sugarcane, and wheat are all healthy, and yet when we process them into a white refined powder, they all become deadly? I think that is what I see certainly as a ER physician. Obviously, I do see the other white powder as well, and people coming in even with opioid addiction, which is an epidemic now, which is not what we're going to talk about today. But easily, easily. The other white powder, the sugar and the refined flours, are more deadly in sheer number of people who come into my ER. There's no doubt about it. And that's why this has become such an important topic. Now, this can be very confusing for people, the science of food. We have to understand that it is it is complicated. And even as a physician, digging into this can be complicated. And if you sign up for, in January, all of these crazy health plans and and get skinny fast plans that 
try to sell you products or pills that are incredibly fat burning and without an ounce of exercise, you can lose weight and look like this guy. And they show a picture of a ripped man on the screen. All of those products, um, are complicated. And a lot of times they will walk you through some of the even diet plans and it can get confusing as far as carbohydrates and proteins and fats and trying to organize them and all the fad diets and including, you know, the, uh, the Atkins and the, the low carb and the keto and the, <laughs> the list goes on and on and on of all of these things that you are inundated with. And most of you maybe have tried many of them, including me, but I want to, for this podcast, really try to simplify this as well as I can for you because it is fairly simple, really. When you think about the body as a machine and as a factory, it really is calories in, calories out. And I wish it was more complicated than that, or I wish there was a special magic pill, but it really does have to do with our eating and and how much we eat and the, the quality of the food that we eat versus the calories that we expend. So let's talk about um, just the real simple breakdown. There are carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. That's that's kind of makes up the general uh, story of what we eat. And each of these per gram has a an energy level. Energy levels are measured in calories. We've all heard about calories. Carbohydrates provide four calories per gram. Proteins provide four calories per gram. And fats provide nine calories per gram. Now, there are healthy fats, but you have to be very careful with the fats because they have much more calories per gram. Now, here's the number that I do want you to remember. To gain a pound of fat in a week, we've all done it. (laughs) We've all been on the scale and at the end of Christmas, we're like, oh no, what happened? To gain an extra pound of fat, you have to consume 3,500 calories extra per week. Now, for a a man my size, my age, you know, generally 2,000 to 2,200 calories per day is reasonable, obviously less for women. But we're talking about in excess of that. And so you figure seven days in a week, uh, 3,500 extra calories, that's 500 calories extra per day would need to be consumed to just gain one pound per week. Now you multiply that over a year and you can understand how your weight can get quickly out of control. And so calories are important to focus on, but even better than that, there's something called a glycemic index. And again, I don't want to confuse you with all of these medical terms, um, but the glycemic index is a value assigned to foods based on how quickly and how high these foods causes an increase in blood glucose levels. Foods low on the glycemic index tend um, tend to release glucose slowly and steadily. Foods high on the glycemic index release glucose rapidly. So high glycemic foods turn on insulin. Insulin grabs the glucose, grabs those calories, grabs that energy, and drives them into your fat cells as storage. So if you are using energy and you are burning energy, as you can imagine, just like a car, then nothing is stored, nothing is kept. But when you consume more calories than what you are burning every day, then it has to be stored and it is stored as fat. So high glycemic foods turn on insulin and ramps up the fat storage system. 
Low glycemic foods, on the other hand, shut down the fat storage system. And so just by simply choosing which foods you take, actually turn on or turn off this fat storage system. And so when you're consuming over 3,500 calories per week, it gets stored as a pound of fat on your body so that you're saving it for another day. That's how our bodies are made. That's how God made us so that we would have energy stored in case we ever got into a crisis or uh, ever had lack so we could use and burn that energy in our bodies so we wouldn't die. We're living in a very different time now where we have excess food, cheap, um, easily available, extra food, and it gets stored as fat on our bodies. So I want to try to simplify this as much as possible so to not make your head spin here too much. So there's three ways that we can and should try to live in a healthy way One is fuel control, two is hunger control, and three is waste control, (laughs) W-A-I-S-T, waste control, the fat around our waste. So let me just talk first about fuel control. So fuel control is all about calories and insulin. So one way to help with this, and we have talked about this before, is by eating more regularly smaller meals. Now, why does that help? Because it actually helps your insulin levels not spike and trough, spike and trough. We're used to three huge meals a day. That's how American diet tends to be set up. And so we eat this very large amount of food. Um, Our insulin levels spike to try to deal with the energy. uh, And then we take the excess, we store it as fat, then our insulin drops and we feel horrible because we're actually running on a very low uh, glucose situation. So usually about two in the afternoon, we feel like we need a little bit more. And so we get a snack and we try to keep pumping that insulin up. A low glycemic food burns very slowly. And when we eat smaller meals, our insulin levels stay very steady and even. And we don't get those spikes. And it doesn't, it doesn't allow the insulin then to drive that into our storage system as fat. And so we can eat more regularly. And of course, obviously, fuel control is portion size. Now, there's been a lot of talk about this and and advocates of what's called the nine-inch plate. We as Americans like our really big oversized plates. So we can put plenty of food on them. Nine-inch plate is not very big. If you can consist of a nine-inch plate at home, it's a very simple way of sort of organizing the way that you eat and it can really keep you out of trouble. I'm trying to keep this very simple. Nine-inch plate, cut it in half. 50% are fruits and vegetables. So 50% of a nine-inch plate should be filled with fruits and vegetables. 25% with a lean protein. 25% with a healthy grain That doesn't mean starch or pasta. It means healthy grain. If you just ate like that alone, you would actually have fuel control. And it would be actually a very healthy, well-balanced diet. That's a very simple way to start. Number two is hunger control. And this is one I'm very interested in because, again, as Americans, we put a lot of value on what we call fullness, on feeling full. Now, we've all gone out to eat, and we've left actually feeling uncomfortably full, the unbuttoning the top button kind of feeling. We've all been there as well. And and we equate that to being, now we're finally done eating. The, the, The sensory feedback to our brain is now telling us that we have finally eaten enough. 
But the word that I like to focus on is the word satisfied. I believe that the Father actually creates us to never be content with what he has for us. We always want more in the spirit and in the things that we're pursuing. But he does want us to live in a place of satisfaction where, where what he provides for us is always enough. We're, we, are, we are complete and satisfied. That's how he created us. And yet we like to equate the excess, the overflow, the fullness um, as finally that area. So I think this can this can definitely be translated into how we eat and how we are meant to look at food. We're meant to look at food to provide fuel for our bodies. And our bodies are actually created to give us a feedback loop on when we've had enough fuel. And the funny part is that we usually sit down to eat because we're hungry. Somewhere in the middle of that meal, even though we're enjoying the meal, we're not hungry anymore. But we usually don't stop there. We usually proceed and continue until we achieve what we call fullness, (laughs) where there's just no more space anymore and we can't eat anymore. But that's a mind shift change that I would like to release over you culturally, that we eat until we're satisfied. And then the beauty of the more frequent fuelings is that two to three hours again, we'll probably be hungry and then we can eat until we're satisfied again. But if we continue to space these out and we eat four, five, six hours later, guess what? We are really hungry and we eat again until we're full. And so it's a shift that we can think about in the way that we approach food. Three hour fuelings and eating until we're satisfied. It's about the quality of food. Low-density food um, has high water content. We want low-density, high-volume food. High-volume meaning large amounts of food per calorie. So obviously, fruits and veggies fit into that category perfectly. A lot of water content, low-density, high-volume. And that can help us with our hunger control. Obviously, drinking water does the same thing as, as well as it fills our stomach and gives us that feedback loop to our brain that we're satisfied. Um, fiber is wonderful and fiber is good for you across the board. Um, and so increasing fiber in your diet is extremely important. There is something called energy density and I want you to stay tuned. I'm just going to, again, not trying to confuse you, but I would like to tell you that on labels in Europe and Canada, they're already including a term called energy density and, and United States may be more tricky because of the companies that are driving us to be obese, (laughs) They don't want to list energy density on their label. They don't want to give us too much information. Calories still for many people is sort of an esoteric um, uh, approach, but energy density helps us sort of lock in on what is healthy and what is not healthy. Simply put, you can, you can calculate energy density by looking at the labels currently. It's just dividing calories by the weight in grams. Dividing calories by the weight in grams. If it's less than one, which is usually fruits and veggies, that is extremely healthy food. If it's one to two, such as whole wheat, pasta, or skinless meat, those are something that you can eat in 25% of your plate. (laughs) The fruits and veggies, 50%. Lean meat, 25%. Whole grain pasta, 25%. If it's over two, you need to use these very sparingly because they are high glycemic and they are going to Increase your insulin to drive that energy into your fat cells to be stored. Which leads us to the third point, which is waste control, W-A-I-S-T. 
not like your garbage man. He's also in waste control, but that's a different thing. And the way I like to talk about the fat around our waist or other places of our body is to actually think of it as, as unloading extra fat storage. See, fat is about storing energy. So you need to unload the extra fat storage. So this can't usually be accomplished through exercise alone. In fact, I want to read to you about this because I believe this is critically important. So they're talking about using a man as an example, a BMI of 30 and medically obese at 209 pounds. That means that he's accumulated his, he's accumulated 42 pounds of unhealthy fat, each of which contains energy equivalent of 3,500 calories. We've done the math, right? So his fat storage facility has sequestered an excess of 147,000 calories. <laughs> the obese male has doubled his fat storage to a whopping 282 potential calories in his body. 200, I'm sorry, 282,000 potential calories in his body. He needs to offload all this extra energy before it precipitates a heart attack, stroke, or other health crisis. Now, what if he were trying to do this through exercise alone while maintaining his normal eating pattern? Let's see. Running a marathon, you guys heard that I've done this, consumes on an average of about 2,600 calories. And so if we assume that our obese friend here could even manage this level of activity, which, he, which we wouldn't recommend, he'd have to run more than 56 marathons to burn off his excess, excess weight. If he were to run one marathon a week, it would take him over a year to offload those calories. And that's using one of the most intense forms of exercise there is. So the key isn't just ramping up exercise. The key is limiting energy intake through portion control, through hunger control, and through waste control. Lowering your total calories to below your current energy expenditure. This discrepancy causes your body to burn through its limited supply of stored carbohydrates in the first few days, while your low glycemic, decreased carbohydrate diet helps turn down your insulin pump. As a, re as a result, your body sends out signals that it needs energy. The ensuing hormonal change converts your fat cells from storage centers to little fuel tanks, which is full of triglycerides, which is a substance that the liver converts into useful energy through a process called ketosis. Once you enter this controlled fat burning state, you can offload your fat in a progressive fashion until a normal BMI, waist circumference, and percentage body fat is your new state of health. So it's key to understanding our body as a factory. And hopefully that didn't confuse you. I'm trying to keep this as simple as possible, but it's important to not just join the club in January and trying to burn off the fat. There's a place for that. And I want to talk more about exercise in, in the next podcast. But really the key is, is what we are fueling our body with and decreasing that fuel energy, decreasing uh, our fuel control, uh, maintaining fuel control and maintaining hunger control so that we're able to then utilize this fat, extra fat that we're carrying to actually create energy for us. When we do that, we become healthier. Our body looks better and the weight comes off. 
And then, and only then, when our body is actually working optimally, is then it's important then to increase our exercise and increase our lean, our lean muscle mass so that we can become more fit and have more endurance in our bodies ourselves. And I'd like to talk to you more about that in the future. So let's be very clear about the choices that we make. Low glycemic, portion control, hunger control, in order to maintain waste control. I hope this helped. I, I do want to just try to keep this as simple as it could possibly be and give you, give you cultural pieces so that we know what we're looking for when we look at labels and when we go to the grocery store and, and, and out to eat and, and different things about just life that we live in. Life isn't an infomercial. <laughs> life is real and it's every day and there's days that we feel like it and days that we don't feel like it. But when it becomes culture, then it becomes automatic. It becomes what we normally do. And that's when we really achieve optimal health. So thank you for listening to me again. I hope this is helpful for you and sort of a public service announcement with our our bodies and our health. It's so important to me and I know it's so important to you and to your families. So let's go together now to set and shape the culture.